My name is Sarah, and I'm Anxious AF. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I talk to Mike Travato, the host of the Health on a Whim podcast and creator of the website, What is My Health? What is My Health features blogs and videos related to physical and mental health. Mike's blog, Obsessed, is often featured on the site and contains personal stories where he dives deeper into his experiences with OCD and anxiety. Mike reached out to me, and we chatted about his blog and website, and we thought it'd be nice to collaborate, exploring his OCD and diving deeper into my anxiety. We recorded two episodes, so be on the lookout on the Health on a Whim podcast page for when the second half of our conversation is released. We spoke on this podcast about the genesis of his website, what happens when OCD and emotional eating collide, comparisons to others on social media, and the childlike desire for attention as an adult. Mike and I met in college, but have never really interacted. So this was a great opportunity to get to know him better and to have by far the longest conversation we've ever had. Here's my conversation with Mike Travato. I ask every guest, what makes them anxious? <laughs> what what doesn't make me anxious? Um, for me, like I, I was diagnosed with OCD when I was eight years old. So I, I like I worry about most things, and most things cause some form of anxiety for me. Also, I forgot to do any sort of introduction, so I'm going to do that too. Um, oh, sure. Tell me about yourself, and tell me what you do, and um, about your podcast and all that fun stuff. Um, my name is Mike Cravato. Um, I am a former teacher. I currently work in healthcare as a research specialist. And I've been running the website whatismyhealth.com for about four years. I've had a couple dozen writers write about various topics related to health and well-being and the things that impact how we feel. And I'm also the host of the Health on a Whim podcast. So what is the podcast and the blog? What do they focus on? So uh, I write I write one of the blogs on whatismyhealth.com. Um, it's called Obsessed. With a, it's a play on words. Instead of an S, the first S, it's a C, um, to kind of acknowledge the OCD aspect of my life. So I write a lot about mental health for my own personal experience. And the podcast, a lot of it really is just like trying to approach health from the everyday perspective, the everyday person's perspective, and just how different people experience health, how different people perceive health, and and how that kind of takes shape in their their day-to-day lives. Each person has had something unique to say about what they think health is and or what it means to them and how it, how it presents itself or how it plays out in their lives, which I, I found to be really interesting. So it's kind of just trying to open people's eyes to different perspectives, you know, just changing, trying to not change perspectives, but just um, encourage people to be open-minded about uh, things that they might not have considered before. So what got you interested in, in this lane? My first career, um, I went to school to be a phys ed teacher. I have a, a physical education degree, which is obviously inherently health related. And graduated in 2008 when the economy went south. So I was working a bunch of different part time jobs while I was trying to get my foot in the door as a teacher. Um, went back to grad school in 2013. It, it, it almost kind of fell. Uh, it's not, I wouldn't say it fell into my lap. It, it kind of happened 
as like the next logical progression in my career, I wasn't able to find a job with just my phys ed degree because there was just nothing. And everybody was saying, no, you should, you know, you need to have a, you know, a dual certification. So the logical connection with phys ed is health education. So 2013, I went to grad school for um, my master's in, in health education, graduated in 2016. And while I was there, um, just through the coursework I was taking, um, you know, I started learning more and more about different perspectives of health. And um, in December of 2013, I was, I'll never forget this. I was at the gym, just like exercising on the treadmill. And I was just thinking, I was single, not enjoying it. And I was, I was dabbling with like dating apps and stuff and just trying to find, you know, I guess just find my way. And uh, I had an idea about like, well, all these dating apps, they focus on like common interests and things like that. And I was like, I know a lot of people have common interests that, you know, or, or like exercise is a common interest that people have, but a marathon runner and somebody who exercises casually or does yoga might have different, like they might be quote unquote interested in exercise or exercise is important to them, but those are very different things, you know? And so I was thinking about the way people might be compatible from a fitness perspective, you know, somebody who's super fit versus somebody who's at the beginner stages of exercise or something like that. And I started to think, well, what if you could connect people on that basis? I spoke to one of my professors who kind of challenged me. She said, well, what if you could connect people on other things, not just fitness, you know, because not everybody's into fitness. And I was like, okay. So she helped me broaden that, that idea to just more, a more holistic perspective of health. And then, um, originally I wanted to open like a physical space, whether it was, a, well, I guess originally it was a gym, um, that would have like a social element to it or like a digital way to connect people at the gym and then it just kind of evolved into another professor said well what if this was a digital just a digital space um that's how i got to the website and i I think the future for me is like somewhere in psychology because i really want to study more and more about how people you know people's perceptions and how it influences their actions and their overall well-being how has all of that sort of with ocd and being kind of in in the health world how has that all kind of come together and how is the OCD? Has that been something that has affected how you make the website and the podcast? How has that affected your life? It was so as a kid, my OCD was was very limiting. Um, when I, I, I guess as a as a really like a young kid, I, I always had OCD tendencies that, again, in retrospect, they made sense. Like my parents told me, "Oh yeah, you know, you, you used to." arrange things a certain way as a little kid but we didn't think anything of it because you know it's the thing and then um my first episode like real heavy ocd episode came in march of 95 um i was watching the ncaa tournament like march madness with my dad and all of a sudden i just i said something to him and i just started repeating it and I couldn't stop repeating it because it didn't like it was it was centered around like this doesn't this didn't feel right. I didn't say it right. It didn't feel right in my vocal cords, which was like the first thing I wrote about when I actually went back and started the blog was like how my OCD has largely been centered about like this feeling of like discomfort. If something doesn't feel right, um, it has to be just right. Uh, for those first two weeks, I wasn't able to like do basic things because nothing felt right. Um, I wasn't able to feed myself for a few days. I wasn't able to, I I dressed myself, but it took me an extremely long time. I couldn't, I couldn't go from room to room in the house. If there was like a a threshold at the the base of the door, there was one day where I I literally stood in my parents' dining room 
trying to cross over the threshold into like the family room to watch TV for three and a half hours, um, just going back and forth because the step didn't feel right. To the point where like my mom picked me up, like she saw me shaking and she just like, it, it broke her heart. And she picked me up and carried me across the room to the couch thinking it would help me. And it actually made it worse because to me, I also, part of my, uh, part of my OCD is different about like retracing steps. If I entered the room being carried, I had to exit the room being carried. I didn't go to school for about two and a half weeks. We told everybody I had like the stomach virus or something. I saw three doctors the first day that my parents took me to doctors um, before they, the third one diagnosed me with OCD. Like nobody, nobody knew. Nobody at school knew. None of my friends knew. Like they, they definitely knew I was uh, quirky because I had many, many quirks that were largely related to OCD. If my foot were to tap the leg of a chair, my right foot, I had to like do this pattern of tapping um, in sequences of four with my left foot and my right foot and like mirroring and symmetry. And it was, I had to find ways to hide it. So I spent 10 years, you know, basically through high school hiding this from people. And my family knew it, they saw it, they knew about it, but that was really, you know, it was, um, it was like this secret that I had for a while. And I definitely think that shaped me. <laughs> uh, like I still, I think it, 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 it affected how I, you know, feel about myself as an adult. Um, there's a lot of self-doubt, a lot of assumption that I won't be accepted. At the same time, I, I wrote a post about this a couple of years ago. I, I've come to kind of view it as, as a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways too, because it makes me very particular in a lot of ways that are super annoying and like just affect like little mundane tasks throughout the day. Yes. But it's also made me a very, um, very meticulous about the work that I do that I care about, especially. Um, so if I'm taking a project seriously, it has to be just right. It's, um, I'm to a fault, I'm sorry, to a fault. Almost, I'm a perfectionist with a lot of things. And so it's led me to do careful, meticulous work. It's a two-sided coin. There's been a lot of, a lot of um, difficulty just with my OCD and with my anxiety, but there's also been some good that's come out of it. And I'm trying, I think I'm trying to do that now. I'm trying to like use that as a, as a, like a catalyst to do something positive. So how has it manifested itself now as an adult? It's, it's hard to say, uh, like I, I have a, I have a kid now, you know, I'm a dad and I always figured like, that's something that brings so many people anxiety and it does bring me anxiety, but like not in the way I, I thought my OCD was going to like pounce on that and be like, you, your kid's going to like something bad is going to happen to your kid. If you don't do this, this, and that. I haven't really had much of that. Like I've obviously taken care of him and been protective and all that, but it hasn't, um, I'm surprised it hasn't like filled like infiltrated into being a parent quite as much. I live in a state of tension, constant tension. Um, and I worry, I project the future a lot still. I worry if I do this, well, what's gonna happen? Uh, I, I overanalyze, I overthink a lot of things. I don't have OCD and that's what I do all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's it's weird because I feel like at times I'm not sure that some of these symptoms qualify as like strictly OCD. Like I think, and maybe I have more stuff going on that just hasn't been like addressed, but 
you know, I know that that's not an uncommon experience for people. So for me to identify that as part of my OCD, I feel like, I don't know if it like, I would say blurs the line necessarily, but. I mean, it's all under like the anxiety umbrella now. Yeah, no, that's true. That's that's definitely true. Um, So I guess there is some overlap, that's fair to say. But I also, I also think that people don't fully understand like what, like I've heard people casually use like, oh, I'm I'm so OCD, ha ha ha. And it's like, I don't know if you fully understand what that means unless you, you know, um, I think it's something that kind of gets misinterpreted. Or even just anxiety. People are always like, oh my God, I'm so anxious. But like, I just thought I was an anxious person. I didn't think I actually had anxiety itself. You know what I mean? I, my therapist was like, I'm going to figure out what to put you under for insurance. And um, I think I'm going to put anxiety down. Is that okay? I'm like, no one's actually told me I've ever like been diagnosed with anxiety before. Like that's, I'm excited. (laughs) There's a thing. Like, it's not just me having a brand for my podcast. It's literally just like, oh, you actually are anxious. Cool. How twisted is that though? That like, insurance is a motivator for the diagnosis in a way not that i'm not saying that was the only motivator but like how twisted is it that like well i have to in order for you to get well that was the thing it's like i started seeing a new therapist this year and i went because i have uh like an eating disorder i have like food addiction binge eating all that fun stuff that i've talked about on the show too they were like well your insurance doesn't cover eating disorders so really that's going to figure out what you have and i'm like oh okay well uh that's why i came because i was like why do i eat my emotions that's uh, that i feel certain ways about that like that's it's sad to me in a way that like people who like and by the way i, I think we have i think i have that I, I believe and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to minimize like or say oh i have binge eating disorder too i genuinely think i have binge eating disorder just undiagnosed because I also eat my feelings and there's like, I, I looked up, like, I definitely need to talk to somebody about it, but it's, it's so sad that like eating disorders are not like you had to be diagnosed with something else. I don't know. It's sad that that's. No, it is. Uh, and it's like also too, when people think eating disorder, they think of anorexia, I think of bulimia. And those are obviously, you know, well-known eating disorders. When I sort of found out that it's, that it is an eating disorder, that it is an addiction and even just having conversations with someone that I know that was an alcoholic and we talked mm-hmm. a lot about, I went to Overeaters Anonymous at one point and he was in AA. We talked a lot about the similarities because OA is similarly run to AA, but right. it was just an interesting experience to be like, you need food to live. You do. Yeah. <laughs> and like with alcohol, you can stop drinking at some point, but with food you can't stop eating (laughs) so and then you have another eating disorder so it's like it is in a way it's just a different beast and people don't really understand it especially with quarantine too and like lockdown and all that how difficult that's been for eating for me i'm just something trying to figure out how to navigate what's happening and then being like well i'm by myself again um i live alone so it's just like i've been alone more than i've ever been in my life so I'm like, how do I function? Oh, okay, I guess I'll go get, I'll have food. It's been my only friend for this long. And I know that you have, you know, a family, but I'm assuming you can also eat your feelings in the same way. Or- yeah, all the time. Um, I'm actually in a stretch right now, a real good streak I have going of, uh, like, so our, our routine um, at night, because uh, I, I, I can sleep through a lot of things. Mm. I'm a very heavy 
expert and my wife is not. And so we kind of reached this like agreement that I would take the nighttime because I'm a night owl anyway, and I would put our son to bed and that she would wake up with him early in the morning and, and do that. And that seems, I think, I think I'm getting the better end of it still because he wakes up super early. <laughs> but, um, I'll go in with him for, for bedtime and I'll put him to bed. And um, almost always I walk right down to the kitchen. It's just like I'm being... It's, it's just like it pulls I'm you. Yeah. And I go in and I just start pulling stuff out of the cabinet and I, and I just stand there eating and just pacing. The kitchen. I don't even have anything to do. It's just, I'm procrastinating going to bed. Um, and I don't know if it's because like my mind isn't ready to go to bed that my body's like, well, if you're going to be up for three hours worrying about everything, why don't we eat? Because you're going to, you know, like I don't, whatever it is like, and I can tell myself like, Hey man, you probably should stop doing this. And then there's a different part of my brain that's like, yeah, you should, but we're not going to. And I'm just, and I, it's almost like mindless. I mean, I know that's definitely a thing, like mindless eating. But it's like this conflict between like, I know better than to do this, but I can't stop myself from doing it. I, I'm still trying to find, I, I, for about nine, almost 10 years ago, I started tracking like what I was eating, you know, in a log. And people were like, oh, you mean like Weight Watchers? I'm like, yes but a lot more difficult and definitely very much OCD. Like I, I was weighing my food and I made like a literal Excel spreadsheet with like several different tabs. And I was to the like hundreds of a, of a point, like calculating calories, fat grams of fat, like not all the, the micronutrients that people go into, but like your basic calories, fat, protein, fiber, sugar, and sodium. And those six things I would track every day. And I would calculate in an Excel spreadsheet. So like, and that worked for me for a while. It helped me like stay within a range and I got my weight under control. And then probably when I went to grad school, I, I just didn't, I stopped. Like I, cause I, I went to grad school. I found a full-time job all around the same time. Then I met my wife. I was dating, you know, we were dating. She moved in with me. We got engaged. We got married. We had a kid, like all in rapid succession. Like, and the time I had to just sit there with a computer and be like, ooh, should I have, you know, some uh, some figs today or should I have like these crackers? Like, or, you know, like I just can't, I can't, I couldn't, I can't sustain it anymore. I'm interested that the fact that like the food addiction or like the food planning and your OCD, that's how it sort of manifested itself. Yeah, I think that's one of the ways that my OCD, in a way, like in a weird way, kind of helped me because I was so. And people were like, "You're crazy! How do you do this? Is insane!" You know, they have Weight Watchers. I'm like, I'm not paying for Weight Watchers. I have Microsoft Excel, and that is free. Like, they're like, dude, you're doing so much work for this, and um, I was like, yeah, but it's working. It's just um, time consuming. It was very time consuming, and it's like you know because. And it's not just like, oh, you know, you eat a granola bar, you put the nutrition information in, and that's it. Like, anytime you home cook a meal, I had to weigh out every ingredient. I would weigh the, the final product, deduct the weight of the container it was in. So I'd have, like, the, the food weight overall. And then every time I took a portion of it, I would weigh that out and then, like, do the, the math. And I would come up with an overall, like, recipe nutrition information tab, <laughs> like, so like this recipe is, if I eat the whole thing now, it's 7,000 calories. But if I eat it over the next week in portions or whatever, you know. I'm exhausted. It, it, yeah, just telling, just explaining it is like exhausting. And I used to do this for 
I'd say about three years, two and a half, three years consistently. That's so funny because I never, I, I hate logging and weighing. It makes me so anxious. It makes me judge myself on whatever I'm putting in my mouth and the weighing I was never, I was like, Oh no, like I can't do this. This takes so much time. Or if I'm like really emotional or really hungry, I'd be like, I don't have time to weigh things. I should get this thing in my mouth. I don't have to think about food anymore. Yeah. I, I know that there are apps now and I've been trying to use the apps to keep like, it's, it's a little bit more loose and it's like, it's just quicker, but even like the process of logging something is like cumbersome. And I think actually since, since like Halloween, I, I took a little break from the tracking because I'm like, well, look, this is not help. Like at times it ha- there were times in my life where it's helped. It's helped me keep things under control. I'm logging it and I'm still eating 4,000 calories a day instead of two, like I'll eat 2000 calories between breakfast and dinner and I could be good. But then it's like, I put, I put my son to bed and then I come out of the room and I eat 2000 more calories between 1030 and midnight. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm tracking it, but the tracking is not like the filter anymore. It's not that stopgap that says like, Hey dude, you should stop eating now. You have eaten enough for the day. So this week I was just like, I think I need to take a different approach because something is not clicking mentally, but I haven't quite figured out what, that new approach is going to Are be. you feeling like hunger signals at all when you're trying to eat too? I know that's been something that's been difficult for me for my life of like knowing when I'm hungry, knowing when I'm satisfied. Like I can fit uncomfortably full. I can figure that out because, you know, that's not great. But yeah. the satisfied is so difficult for me to figure out. In like yeah. hunger, I'm learning more that I can feel what hunger, um, you know, physically feels like because I've always eaten on emotions. But yeah the satisfied has been so hard to figure out. It's making me like, do I feel it now? Do I feel it now? I'll have a bite and be like, all right, am I satisfied now? Like, I have no idea. It freaks me out. I truly don't know if my body knows the difference between being thirsty, being hungry, being anxious, being bored, being whatever it is that's making me eat. Like, it's just one feeling. There's nothing. There's no mechanism for that. It's just like, how uncomfortable am I at the end of it? And it's like, and even then, I could be like, you know, my stomach feels over full and I'll be like, oh, but I really want to. I think a lot of it too is like, I want the taste of a food in my mouth. Yes, 100%. I'm not hungry, but I really want to taste this ice cream. So I just eat the freaking ice cream. And I'm like, then why? That I could have, why? Why did I have to have an entire bowl of it? Could I not have just taken like a spoon, like a scoop and just... It's that <laughs> shorthand pleasure of chewing. It's literally uh, like, and I don't know. And people are like, well, you know, try drinking water. Maybe you're just thirsty and then I'll drink water. I'm like, no, I still want the ice cream though. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like, I feel like I would have this pull towards sweet things. And I realized I was liking soft foods and it was like a comfort thing, but you're really only enjoying it for the time that you're chewing it or the time that you're processing it. And that's it. And I'm like, what is this doing for me? Like, is this like my replacement to, you know, doing drugs or something? Is this my drug? Is this what it is? And I was like, it has to be because I feel this pull to that short term jolt when it's gone. I'm just like, I don't know why I did that. It's, it's interesting that you brought up drugs because one of the first, I think it might have been the first grad school class I took. It was a substance abuse and like, it was, just, it was that kind of a class. And the first night, the professor, you know, was, she was giving her lecture and she basically it was like, what is the definition of a drug? I'm probably misquoting this somewhat, so take this with a grain of salt. But, but basically the idea was 
A drug is something that alters like the chemical makeup of your body. And so by that definition, food is also a drug. And people don't like to think of it that way because you need, like you said before, you need food. You don't need cocaine. So, you know, like as a, as a nutrient, uh, you know, there's no nutritional value to it. It's on the food pyramid. Right. But no, it's not. It's, uh, uh, or like you said, alcohol, like these things, those are not like essentials for your body from a nutritional standpoint, but she said, you know, food, water, they alter the chemical makeup of your body. They, they are by that definition also drug. It did kind of put into perspective, like, well, maybe I can see then how this could be an addiction. Like, even though it's something that your body physically needs, and I definitely think I, I have that. So it's it's weird to think of food as a drug, though, because I, I know that like a lot of people like the knee jerk reaction when they hear drug is like the harder street drugs, prescription drugs, whatever the case is, um, not like pizza. So. But like, it's all about getting addicted to that high, though. That does kind of make its way through is whatever you have that physical connection to that you're like you can't stop yeah, going towards. No, yeah, that that's true. I don't know. It's just a, it's a very complicated thing when you think about it, and it's yeah. I'm trying to think about what the new what the new thing can be, like what I can replace it with. I haven't really binged in a long time. I mean, a long mm-hmm. time for me is like it's been like almost a month or so since I've ate a lot of sweets or like ate something, you know, that made me feel uncomfortable, but I ate it anyway because I wanted that that hit, I guess. So now I'm just trying to be like, what do I feel this emptiness with? I used to fill it with food. How can I fill that? What's left? And so yeah. that's, and my therapist was like, you can sit in that and like figure it out. Like you don't have to fill it right away. Yeah. How hard is that though? Like, right? I mean, it, it takes such discipline and I don't, I am selectively disciplined there are certain things i can sit down and do for hours and probably if it feeds like my ocd that that helps me sit with it like you know sit down and like lock in on something but when it comes to other things i have no discipline whatsoever like you know stopping myself from eating is one of those things it's just i i really struggle with it because whatever that fit, like there's definitely something going on chemically i think and possibly and probably psychologically that's like subconsciously driving this like trouble food in your face at 10 10 30 at night like i don't know if i'll ever reach the weight goal that i have for myself i don't know if i'll ever at this point probably like it feels it feels highly unlikely that i'll reach the level of fitness that i, I want to be at um just because of my life the way it is right now like i have two kids and i have a job and i have this you know i'm doing the, the what is my health stuff on, on as like a my side gig and you know i'm filling my time pretty you know, pretty substantially. I don't, and I know that, yes, it's like, yes, I could, I have to find ways to make time for these things, but like, I don't, I do have a, a, a goal at least. I don't know if I would say it's a, an ideal of like, I've reached the pinnacle, but I do have a goal and I, I'm not sure that I'm going to reach that. And I also understand like, you can change your goals. You can adjust your goals. If one goal is not realistic, then maybe it's not the best goal, but it does, it does kind of feed into this, like, ah, oh, I'm not, I'm still not where I need to be. I'm not getting there. I'm not making the progress. And it's just like, it almost becomes like this self-defeating thing sometimes. There's also wonder... comparison too. I feel like comparing yeah. people to, oh, this person has this and they're my age or look at how yeah. far they've come with their life. And I'm like, what have I done? I think it's easy to do that without even thinking about it or not even trying 
to do it because we're like, I mean, how many notifications do we get on our phones every day about an Instagram post or Facebook? You know, like everybody's broadcasting their lives now. And these, and it's not like, oh, they're not celebrities anymore. Like, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, when we were growing up, like the only people you would see like that were celebrities or, you know, public figures. And now like everybody's a public in their way, like everybody's their own public, public figure. Everybody's lives are being broadcasted. And it's like, if you're, if you're feeling badly about yourself and then you're seeing everybody else having this. And I know a lot of people only post the positive stuff too. It's like, oh, this is. It's catered, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's not realistic, but like, this is what we see. We're seeing so many people like, ah, you know, ran seven miles today. It's like, I haven't ran seven miles this year. Like, Like, what is wrong with me? Why can they, why is this so easy for them? But that's I walk for fair, seven seconds from the bed to the couch. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's not a fair, it's not a level playing field. It's not a fair comparison to make, or there's, it's not a standard that's fair to hold ourselves to, but we definitely do it subconsciously, I think. I mean, <laughs> I've definitely changed since I was just thinking about this. Like we met in college in undergrad and yeah. um, how different of a person, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but that, I was in the sense that social media was something that I was like, I have to post a status. And that was like, you know, Facebook was sort of a thing where you would be like, Sarah Curlin feels blah, blah, blah. Or, you know what I mean? Or like, it was also like you had to be in college, I think, to have a Facebook when we started getting them. And, um, you know, I was always sharing my business, having like my spaces and live journals and always talking about your life. And I... And now I was just having a conversation with my friend last night where I was like, I don't want to share anything anymore. What am I doing? I, I had to do the same thing, you know, especially because of COVID. I used to be very, like, I was always like going out to dinner and going to exercise classes and staying really busy. And now I'm like, all right, I'm going for a walk. And the same thing is, ha- like, what am I doing exciting? What do I want to share? And then I'm like, I don't want to share much. Like, I just want to live my life. And it's become such a interesting thing that, I've seen in myself and maybe other people too. And seeing like, like how you said, how curated social media is, how curated Instagram is and people only showing the positive and you're not taking a picture of yourself with bedhead. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've never been like huge into, I'm always terrible about like, I was always terrible about uploading pictures. People were like, when are you going to post the pictures of, from whatever it is? I'm probably, and I'd be like, yeah, three years from now, but they're not going to post it for a really long time. I've, I've come to a point where I, I think, I've realized that privacy is underrated. We, we feel so uh, almost like we're obligated. What do you think about this? Do you think it has something to do with like the fear of being forgotten? Like in that, I, I don't know about you. Like you, and you said you're you're living, you live by yourself, right? And quarantine has you know, and, and COVID and all that stuff, and the pandemic have forced you to be more alone than you've been possibly ever before um for me like I, you know i found that having a family not that i mean I, I was never like a social butterfly really but like i had a more robust social life at one point and now it's really like you know i have a family i have a job i have a family those are my priorities i not that my friends aren't my priorities but like even before the pandemic like i wasn't doing a lot socially like i'd be lucky if i could see my friends like once a month i don't really go out socially anyway and in a way there like there are times where i'm like man like nobody's even texted me nobody's even called me in a while and it's just kind of like every now and then i get this sense of like 
do people even remember that I'm here? You know? And I feel like social media is a way to like, it's almost like, I don't know, it's like a, not a cry for help, but like a call for attention in, in a way where it's like, if I put this on Facebook and somebody acknowledges it, they, 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 they're not forgetting that I'm here, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about it in that way. I always thought about it as, I mean, yeah, I guess it's about this need to be in the spotlight or this need to, uh, I'm doing this with my life. Aren't I so cool? Isn't my life amazing? And you, and, and there's that high of like getting people to like it or getting people to comment or whatever, especially if it's about like posting something of yourself um, yeah. or your accomplishments or whatever it may be. Like you need to prove that you did this thing. Right. Yeah. Your life has to be seen by somebody not, else in order for it to be valid. Like, like it's not face. It's not official until it's Facebook official. Then maybe that's probably, that's an old. Yes. That's an old. Yeah. I use that analogy a lot because I'm always like, I just want to be able to change my relationship status to in a relationship on Facebook, <laughs> but nobody does yeah. that anymore. No. And I'm like, yeah. that's all I've ever wanted to do because I've never done it before. And I'm just like, that's, I'm just excited for that prospect. But I'm like, that's so ridiculous. If you change, if you reframe the way you think about relationships and, and that's actually something I thought about before is like going back to like the food thing is that, you know, it's, I know we think of relationships as like human to human interactions or even human to like animals, like with your pets and stuff. But there's definitely a relationship that people have with food, especially when you're talking about binging and stuff. Like there's definitely a contentious relationship. You know, you could, I feel like you'd be justified if you were to frame it that way as like putting, it's complicated if that's still an option and being like, yeah, I have a complicated relationship with food. It doesn't have to be a person. That's, you know? that's really funny. That's actually a really good idea. I think I just want to change it to it's complicated and then right. be like, wait, what? With who? And I'd be like, with all the food I'm consuming or lack of. Right. Or not I mean, explain yeah. it and just leave it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's like, it's the default is that like, oh, you're in a relationship. Well, who is it with? It's like, that's not the only relationship you can have. You know? Or the obsession with people that when you change, I mean, people, again, don't do it as much as they used to, but when people would oh, change no. their status to like in a relationship or, or married or whatever, people just right. are always like, oh my God, congrats. Like, oh my God, that's yeah. so exciting. And I'm like, you never congratulated me for being single. Right, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, as though to say, like, that everybody's supposed to be with somebody. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, and the more that I'm learning about the world, you're like, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Like, there's not necessarily... I'm trying to have it not be the be-all, end-all of yeah. my thinking, which I think is, you know, all connected to anxiety and part of the, you know, part of the issues, but... I know you don't need it to function. No, you don't. It's definitely become like the social norm. You know, like if you're, it's, it's been normalized, like a lot of other things have been normalized, whether it's, you know, I mean, that's an entirely deeper conversation, but yeah, the idea that like somebody's eventually you're supposed to end your, you know, end up having a partner in life is pretty normalized, I think. And I think it, I think it, you know, it puts pressure, like for me, for the longest time, like, and, and I think that goes back to like when I was when I was a kid, like because I had OCD and because I had weight issues and I had a lot of, you know, I, I, relationships were not something that came easily for me. I was definitely like a late bloomer in that way. I mean, and, and that's not even like I had my first relationship was at the end of high school as opposed to, I don't know, maybe middle school or the beginning or sometime, some other time in high school. Like not even that, you know, why is 17 late? I don't know. But that's neither here nor there. But like, 
when when I started realizing that anybody might even be interested in like being in a relationship with me, that actually kind of became part of like the OCD, like the I was like, well, I have to I have to maintain this now because I like I want to I want to hold on to this, you know. I want to be I like the feeling of being seen as like. I don't want to say, I don't know how I want to say desirable, but like wanted by somebody so much to the point or cared, cared for, you know, in that way by somebody. And I think part of that, I think that probably goes all the way back to the, like, you know, like I said, I hid my OCD for 10 years. Like, and I think it was just wanting to be, it was an extension of wanting to be seen. And I think it all connects. I think like the way we post on Facebook sometimes on whatever you know platform on social media is just this idea of wanting to be seen the reality of who i was and the reality of my anxiety and my diagnosis was a secret for 10 years and it was like a thing that i thought was shameful and i think that was the wrong approach and and i think subconsciously still i carry that with me like i want to be seen i want to be understood i want to be i want to feel connected i want to feel like i connect with somebody or somebody connects with me my therapist said to me that I've always like this craving for attention is very childlike, but because I didn't get attention from my yeah. family as a kid, I was sort of, my parents are always very like just fighting with each other all the time and didn't really, as long as I was safe, that's okay. But they didn't really know my personality or who I was. Yeah. So I was like always trying to fight to get noticed and it wasn't happening. And so now I'm starting to see those connections, throwing myself into friendships or throwing myself into social media or meeting new people um, and just constantly trying to be like, how can I be good enough? Or even, you know, dating, how can I be good enough for this person? What am I doing that's not good? How can I get them to like me? And like you said, how, do, how this feeling of wanting to be wanted and desirable, someone to care for you, I want to experience that. And yeah it's like it's a high in itself yeah it is yeah that, that, that got deep real real yeah. quick <laughs> no but i think it's good that we went i think it's good that we went there because it's it's all i think it's all real it's all you know i'm not i think we're saying very deep truthful things right now like even even as i was like saying things what i was saying to you is just like damn like that is that is the core of the real like the reality and by the, by the way, I, I like for me at least, I, I want to say too, it's not like what I'm saying is not, I wouldn't say it's an indictment of my parents. Like, I'm not saying my parents did a bad job or anything like that. I just, I think there are things that they didn't understand about what I was going through. I and mean, I didn't understand I was eight. Like, what did I know? Um, and they had probably never heard about OCD before, you know, before I was diagnosed. So, what, if, you know, how could they have known? How could they have known what I was going through? How could they have known what to ask me? I think, like you said, with your parents, like as long as I was safe, we did a lot of stuff at my house. We had, you know, a small, I had a small, I wouldn't even say group of friends, but I had like a few friends that I hung out with individually and they knew, you know, my parents knew where I was and who they were and, you know, knew the families and it was like this safe little bubble and they kept me within that and nothing, nothing drastically like, harmful happened. No, yeah, nothing like that happened. You know, I was physically safe. I do think, though, that the protection that they tried to give me in a way had unforeseen negative effects. But it's they funny couldn't. how much 
our parents really have influenced who we become as adults. Yeah. And, and, and realizing that now, I, I really hope, <laughs> I really hope that helps me be a better parent now that I'm a parent. Just being conscious of like the effect that I can have on my children just by the way I act, the way I treat them, the things that I allow them to do or not do. Um, but also like the way I talk to them, like, and my, my wife and I have talked about this too. Like we both, we both went through some stuff. <laughs> like we have, you know, our histories and, and, and things that we went through. And one thing that we've agreed on is like, we want, we always want to be very conscious and very um, open with our kids. And we want them, we want to like foster an environment where they feel like they can tell us what's going on and where they feel comfortable in their feelings, positive or negative, like that, you know, them being upset is not like, oh, be quiet, go sit in the corner, stop crying, like nothing. We don't want to suppress their feelings. We, we want to acknowledge how they're feeling because for me, hiding those feelings was probably damaging. You know, I, I don't feel like I learned how to cope. I don't feel like I felt understood and I want to be understood so badly. I'm working, I feel like I'm, I'm working towards it now. I'm trying to like make up ground or make up for lost time, but I don't want to um, pass that on to my kids. Yeah, and there's so, a whole anxiety in that too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's with that, it's like, don't be over eager to like, you know, make them talk about how they're feeling because maybe they don't want to talk about how they're feeling. It's, it's a tightrope, I think, but that, like of all the things I could worry about as a parent, I think that's probably number one. Because I, I, I do trust that, like, my wife and I will bring our kids up in a way that will, you know, I, I do think they'll be in a, they're, they're going to be in a loving, nurturing home. Like, that's not a question. But I guess I do worry about, like, walking that fine line and making sure, like, and, and I can only do so much, you know, we can only affect so much as much as we like to think we can, like, you know, pick a path and, like, guide them on that exact path. Like, it's not... That's not really, there's going to be twists and turns that we couldn't have planned for. And like, it's going to have an, it's going to have whatever effect it has, no matter what our intentions are. If I worried about that all the time, I would be paralyzed by it. And I don't think I'd be able to do anything. So it's almost like I have to just let it be, which is like nothing else in my life. Do I think, do I, do I think that way? It's like this, it's, it's weird. Because my OCD has me programmed to be like, don't let it be, change it, fix it. You can guide it in a certain way and like you can control the outcome. And, I'm, and that I'm like, yeah, I mean, I sort of can, but just do the best you can. But it's also like you have to think of a person that's outside yourself now. Yeah. Yeah. I do wish I could bring that mentality to more of the things that I did in my life. The, just the like, do, do the best you can. Don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Do your best. I wish I could apply that. And not, not so much apply it, but like internalize it in a way that made me uh, less anxious about everything. <laughs> Don't there, we all? Therein lies the diagnosis, I guess. There it is. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> that's uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to you for this, and I'm excited to talk to you on your podcast. So, thank you. Um, tell the people again the names of your blog and your podcast and how they can find it. Yeah, um, so it's whatismyhealth.com is the website. Um, my blog is called Obsessed. I am on Twitter and Instagram, Mike OCD underscore W-I-M-H. And uh, What Is My Health uh, has social media. It's at What Is My Health on 
Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com slash what is my health. And yeah, the, um, check out the Health on a Whim podcast. Uh, we are, it's on SoundCloud. Um, I think it's soundcloud.com slash what is my health. Um, but we also have a page on our website for the podcast that directs you to, to uh, SoundCloud if you can't get there. And you can also listen to it directly on the website. Yeah, well, you'll send me all the links and I will post them in the description for this episode. Yes, the Health on a Whim podcast, which you'll be my guest uh, shortly, <laughs> shortly after we wrap this. Yeah, seriously, thank you for reaching out to me about this. And I didn't know we also haven't really had much of a relationship over the years. I think no. we met like at some point in college and I don't, you know, we didn't hang out. So this is like the most we've talked ever. I know it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm glad uh, for all the the stress that social media caused, I'm glad I saw your post and I'm glad I reached out to you because this has been, this has been great. I've enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. That was my chat with Mike Travato. Thanks to Mike for talking with me. And I'm really glad we got to expand our relationship to more than just Facebook friends. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, if you want to hear more of our conversation, be on the lookout for my guest spot on his podcast, Health on a Whim, and that's spelled W-I-M-H, which stands for What is My Health? You can find the podcast on SoundCloud or through his website, whatismyhealth.com. The links will also be in the description box for this episode. While you're hunting for podcasts, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to this one. It's available wherever you get podcasts, and you can also stream every episode on our website, anxiousafshow.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram at anxiousafshow, and you can email us at anxiousafshow at gmail.com with feedback, guest suggestions, or stories of your own. This episode was edited and mixed by Angelique Ibera. Production assistance from Matt Laurie. Music by Garrett Rose. You can check out his work on his website, garrettrose.com. And I'm your host that doesn't stop talking about anxiety, Sarah Carlin. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.